0: Good morning church. Happy fourth. Trust families are coming together and eating a lot of food. You can repent later. So <laughs> how many of you are finding yourself in a place and a moment in life that you never dreamed you would be? maybe in your workplace, maybe a family situation, maybe something that you're facing in business, but in your wildest dreams slash nightmares, you never dreamed you'd be here. Personally, my wife and I are again in a number of situations and just walking some people through some, some places and that they never dreamed they would be. So they have no context for how to do life in this particular moment. We look around in our country, we look around in the world, and, you know, you pick up the proverbial newspaper in the morning and you kind of want to just read it with one eye. And we're amazed at the world in which we live in all of a sudden. Last week, I spoke a message entitled, We Need a Bigger Boat. The need for fresh revelation and the reality of a bigger God who is above and above and beyond and on the throne and everything that's going on, God is sovereign over it. Aren't you glad of that? But you know, even in that ark of God's presence, His protection, His covering, even in that ark there's still floods that are out there today i want to reference another movie how many of you remember the wizard of oz when it was in black and white okay now you know you just seriously dated yourself right so you remember the flying monkeys before they were colorized. You remember the flying monkeys when they were in black and white. You remember the black and white nightmares that you had of the <laughs> flying monkeys. Some people say, do you dream in color? Not in that one. I dream black and white flying monkeys, I'm telling you. And this was before CG and before Spielberg and before everything. But I tell you, man, those, those flying monkeys, they scared the bejeebers out of me. Still... I'm almost 60 years old. They still bug me a little bit. But, you know, there are iconic lines from movies. And as we looked at one last week, We Need a Bigger Boat, there's an iconic line that's come out of The Wizard of Oz, and it's simply, we're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, talk about something that is in the culture. We are not in Kansas anymore. Well, we're not. And very much like Dorothy, Dorothy did not do anything wrong. There was was nothing about her lifestyle. There was no overt sin. There was nothing that caused that tornado to come and hit her family home. And yet Dorothy, because she lived there, she was affected, was she not? You see, this is what happens. Scripture says it rains on the what? The just and the... There we go. And so, you know, just because you're in the right place and living right, it doesn't mean that the tornado might not hit your house. It doesn't mean the rains won't come and the tides won't rise. And yet, Dorothy, when she woke up in her dream, things were familiar but very Weird. I mean, all of a sudden now we got relatives who were like 10 men and animals and straw. I mean, mean, it's just like they look familiar, but they're not quite. And and it's it's like she was in an altered, a parallel universe, an altered reality in her dream slash coma. She just found herself in these bizarre surroundings all of a sudden, a foreign place. Some folks say what we're experiencing, at least in the U.S., is God's judgment, perhaps. But remember that there have been many, many points in history that God could have taken a people out. And we can look and we just see, well, there's a rising tide of this, that, and the other. Why doesn't God be God and just come do His thing? Well, because, as we learned last week, He's slow to anger. Very glad. That means you and I are here today. I also mean God has a sense of humor. (laughs) But regardless of what the circumstances are that have caused us to find ourselves where we are, one thing that's very clear is that God remembers the righteous. Abraham, in discourse with God in Genesis 18, Pushing the omelette, Well, if they're 50 righteous, Well, how about if they're 45? And he keeps working through the numbers until, finally, well, for the sake of 10, what does he say here? He goes on, and we finally down to verse 32, 33, he says, "What if there are only 10? He says, "For the sake of 10, I won't destroy it." Now, this must have been a bad place because they couldn't find 10 folk. But you know, I look around in this room. There are more than 10 righteous in this room alone. Which means there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There are millions of righteous that are staying the hand of God in this moment. I believe that God remembers His church. He remembers His people. Hallelujah. You talk about being salt and light. Let me just tell you, the fact that you are breathing and righteous on the planet makes you a preserver. <laughs> you are a life preserver today to folk that don't even know because of the righteousness of christ in your life god remembers genesis 19 when god destroyed the cities of the plain it says he remembered abraham and his knuckle-headed nephew lot somewhere knucklehead should be in there Genesis 8, God remembered Noah, it says, and his family in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. And you see, when God remembers us, he's made provision and protection. And again, regardless of the cause, and there are many, here we are. But unlike Dorothy, you and me are not waking up from a bad dream this is life and this is very very real now i don't think there's any debate that we are living in a post-christian culture i mean regardless of whether you're reading sacred or secular the reality is that ship has sailed the culture wars are over Now, that doesn't mean that we throw in the towel and God can't do a thing. It just means that the church is not the primary influencer of the culture anymore. The real question for the the church now is how much the the culture of the world is going to affect the church. That becomes the real issue now. But the culture wars are over. And it's not something that just got lost over the past 20 or 30 or 50 years The seeds ideologically and philosophically, they're 100 years old. Don't have time to unpack how we got here in terms of thinking and philosophy. But we're here. But I believe that Jeremiah 29, it gives us a very unique blueprint of where we are and how to live. What we find is Israel in exile. In Babylon now we know Babylon a historical a historical physical place a city if you wish located 50 miles south of what is now known as Baghdad Iraq historians attribute that all the philosophical systems of the world have their roots in Babylon because Babylon was the world's first civilization it's where mankind begin to come together, function together, create philosophy and ideologies of life. But yet while Babylon is identified as a physical place, a geographical and historical reality, it's also a very real world system of sin and of Satan, and it's still at work today. It comes from Babel genesis 11 you remember that story a bunch of folk got together and they're going to build a tower to reach the heavens make a name for themselves and what we find in the tower of babel as you know was a convergence of technology human achievement and pride sounds a lot like today doesn't it and god came down and said if these folk get together and they put their heads together nothing they do will do what Stop them so what did god do he he confused their language and he scattered them but that's the roots of where this comes from we live on the we, we live right here in the midst of the greatest advancing technology happening at a pace that the world has never witnessed before yes gutenberg and the movable type and you know, the King James Bible and all that came out of the Reformation and the telegraph and the radio. And th- but, but nothing happening at the pace that it's happening today. Human achievement to the, the, the genome project. I mean, the things that we know and the technology that we have, it's unprecedented. And yet, that system is very much in operation. Revelation chapter 18 talks about Babylon. And it says that Babylon, verse 2, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. You know, we live in a culture today that for the most part is a defiled culture. Would you agree with that? And there's only a short step between being continually defiled and being demonized Say, so what do you mean demonized demons aren't real oh yeah they are they're the hands and feet of the devil on the planet and they're very much in operation on the planet today now like everything else god has defeated satan and everything satan has we just have to appropriate that victory but here we are gk chesterton an early 20th century writer and theologian, he said this, the opposite of a belief in God is not a belief in nothing, it's a belief in anything. And it's that belief in anything that creates a vacuum where, quite frankly, the demonic can get pulled into that moment. And we read the news today, and I talked last week, I used the phrase, creative evil. I mean, just this week you pick up the news and we're not just talking about suicide bombers in an airport, but we're talking about the pain that families can inflict upon one another and you just, you can't even believe it. And you realize there has to be demonic inspiration and instigation for that kind of evil to occur. This is not something that folks are just sitting around thinking of. There's got to be some help. Jesus warned in such a vacuum that of unbelief that a person becomes vulnerable to multiple unclean spirits. Luke 11. Babylon represents the demonic, but also the economic. Again, Revelation 18. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. The Hebrew word there, the Greek word for merchants, refers to a global economy, wholesalers, things that are done. On mass. We don't have to look far other than just looking at the fallout from Brexit. And we can tell now that this thing that happens over here has global implications on the economy. There's no secret to that. And whether we're joined together by the UN or the EU or whatever it might be, there are now politics and ideologies that are formed from alliances that are not necessarily of the lord now let me let me let me not get all weird here please don't hear the wrong pastor jim said the u.n wasn't from god i didn't say that (laughs) so i'm not going all trilateral commission on you here okay so please don't hear the wrong thing i don't think that every human alliance is necessarily from the devil however I think we also need to be aware of what they are and what they are not. First Kings 11, King Solomon, David's boy, brilliant, wealthy, people paying massive sums of money just to have audience and come see the guy. And God had been very, very clear with Solomon. He said, don't marry these foreign women. Why? It says in 1 Kings 11 too. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Very next word, nevertheless. That's a bad word in Scripture. (laughs) Nevertheless, Solomon, as glorious as the beginning of solomon's life was read ecclesiastes and you see a man slowly losing it all yes, sir. Yes, sir. because of what these alliances and the very thing god warned solomon about is the very thing that happened revelation 18 goes on as described babylon as having slaves and the souls of men and I believe there's emotional slavery that we have to sin and stuff. But I believe that there's a slavery that is spoken of here. Do you realize that by some numbers, a pretty good, actually pretty good survey? For slavery to be illegal around the world, there are twenty seven million slaves on the planet today. And I'm including in that human trafficking. Twenty Seven million. And that slavery is tied to this global economy. It's big money. I have some friends who have been, at the, who have been right in the center of that. A friend of Andrew, who is our tech, tech head here. Her husband was assassinated in Atlanta about a month ago. At 1 o'clock in the morning. She happens to be a federal prosecutor that prosecutes child trafficking. Sitting at a stoplight. And they put a bullet in his chest. This is right here. And you say, Pastor Brett, Pastor Jim, I'm really depressed. Get on with it. (laughs) What I'm trying to do is paint a picture of what's around us in this moment. Where we are. So it begs a question, how then should we live? Francis Schaeffer, theologian, philosopher, 20th century, he wrote a book by the same title in the early 70s. And he portended in this book, based on thought, based on philosophy, based on legislation, where things were headed, he would almost have thought this man were a prophet from heaven, is that all of the things that... He and a man named C. Everett Koop, who was a Surgeon General at the time, all of the things that they predicted have all come to pass. Fascinating. So it begs the question then for you and me, how then should we live? You see, I believe that we have not only biblical precedent, but we have the only real hope for living in this moment. You and I possess that hope. Jeremiah 29. Let's look at this together. Verse 4. We quote some of Jeremiah. We love parts of Jeremiah 29. Come on, everybody. For I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans for a hope. woo! Yeah. I mean, we love it. It's a little bit like when Prayer Jabez came out a while back. Anybody remember Prayer Jabez? You could buy that right, you could buy that at Sheets. You know what I'm saying? Pay for your gas, get your cinnamon rolls, and get your prayer Jabez. All laid out there together. Everybody wanted me some prayer Jabez. And there are parts of Jeremiah, we just love that part. We just don't want to read this first part. So let's read it. Verse 4. This is what God says to all those. Watch this. I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh oh. Doesn't say the devil did it. Doesn't say they were driven out. Doesn't say that they left on their own accord. On accord, God says I carried them. Whoa. The purposes of God. Read on. Build houses. Settle down, plant and eat, marry, have sons, daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters into marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters increase in number. Don't decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Pray to the Lord because if it prospers, you will prosper. And this is what the Lord says: Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And I believe in those instructions, we find a blueprint for how to do life as a church in exile. (laughs) Sounds like a tough phrase. But look around you. And God has not left us alone. Once again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But in as much as God gives us His presence, God also gives us a blueprint of how to navigate a moment like this. The first is build. Now, of course, here he literally means build houses. All the realtors and title people and all of the everybody, mortgage folks, everybody gets happy about that. Yeah, build a house. But I believe there's building that God is referring to, we find in 1 Corinthians 3. You know this. Be careful how you build. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Why? Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. We build on Christ. There is no other foundation. There is no mixture. It's this Bible and what God has said. That's it. And You know, there's some foundation. You go go to your your tax advisor, your financial guy, and he looks down and he sees that 10% light item for tithe, and he says, "Uh uh-uh. No, no, you need to be putting that in your 401. You need to be putting that in your Roth. What do you mean this 10%? It's because I'm building on that foundation. Not world financial principles, but God's financial principles of the kingdom. We build on the person of Jesus Christ using the right materials, and they're going to cost you something. That is a reality. My dad was a furniture builder. Let me tell you, there's wood and there's wood. Trust me. I mean, God bless the big box stores, and you go, and everything they have is called whiteboards. No discernible grain in it whatsoever. You can tie them in a knot. It's amazing. Different lumber than what my family years ago had a sawmill. This is what they did, lumber and veneer. Trust me, very different than what they cut down and what they sawed and built houses out of using costly materials when i first moved up here my wife and i bought a house because that was the thing you were supposed to do by a nationally known house builder A, a big one i'll leave them anonymous and it was amazing how fast they could build a quote luxury home but what i realized you can build an expensive cheap house they're covered they got a guarantee and so after the first 30 days if it hasn't fallen down you show them the big problems but then they'd say we'll come back in a year just get some blue tape and everywhere there's a problem just put some blue tape on it anybody been blue taped here I'm just there we go all right let me just tell you it looked like It looked like a a herd, a flock, a gaggle of blue butterflies had descended in my home. Blue everywhere. Following the right blueprints. You don't just start tacking lumber together. God has a plan for how it's supposed to work. With the right help. It says I'm supposed to be building, yeah, but you're gonna need some help with that building. Trust me. You get 20 feet up in the air and you're trying to put a roof joist up there by yourself. somebody's gonna die. Gonna be you. And I don't care how much craftsman you think you are, how strong you think you are, what you think you know about a little something. Eventually, you're gonna have to have somebody say, "Would you hold the other end of this? Would you help me with this?" It's an amazing thing that we get out there and we value our individualism so much in our country that we don't think we're supposed to be together. We don't think we're supposed to be the church. We don't need one. Let me just tell you something. You need one another. You may not know it yet, but you do. Say, oh, Pastor Jim, I don't have time for all this. Sunday morning, maybe a Wednesday night, once a month, but and small—you got to be kidding on this small group. I've got things to do other than being in church. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> I mean, seriously, because it's in small group where you get to experience community, where you learn how to do life together. Mm, you ain't got it yet. And understanding that whatever you build is going to get tested. I'm spending too much time on this. Now the day speaks, of course, to that moment we stand before Christ and we find out what we pack that's going to survive the trip. But let me just tell you, there are fires of this life that will test what you're continually building. Building inspectors are constantly coming in and saying, uh-uh, this ain't going to work right here. And God will come in, He will burn it down kick it over, knock it down, shake it, and find out how good your construction is. He's called us to build. Secondly, he said, settle down. Settle down. We live in the most mobile society in history. Folks move every three years. And I realize that there's some need for that. I got it. But it wasn't that many generations ago that you were, you were on the farm and, you know, you married Sally Lou and y'all just, let me just, they just added a room to the house. I have never said Sally Lou in my whole life. I have no idea who that is. I know who Ray Ray is. I don't know who Sally Lou is though. I'm sorry. But you didn't move every three years. You stayed there and generations interacted with one another. And, you know, the grandparents whooped the grandkids and the whole nine. And now, settle down. Sometimes I have to wonder if our mobility is just restlessness. Rather than being driven by economic reality, is it just some kind of wanderlust born out of fear or ungratefulness? plant and eat again a sign of settling down praise the lord that I, my wife and i did the gardening thing for some horrible seasons of our life we did the gardening thing we did the chicken thing we did the whole we weren't good at it let me just tell you, do you know that if you plant a cucumber and a squash together, they will do an unholy thing and, and they will cross-pollinate and you get a squash-cumber which you don't know whether to cook it or put it in a salad or just try to cast the devil out of it. You don't know. It's because it's unnatural. It's unnatural. It's not what God intended to happen. But the plant need, I don't believe, necessarily refers for you and to me to go out that we all have to have a garden. But I think it speaks to sowing and reaping. Scripture is very clear. Don't, don't be confused. Galatians. Because a man reaps what he sows. Marry, encourage to marry, reproduce, family. Yeah. And I think under the guise of a kindler, gentler, you know, we've got to accept X, Y, and Z. Let me just tell you, there has been an, a continued assault against the family for generations. Yeah. Yeah. James Dobson and others have led the forefront of this for many, many decades. And while we can talk about certain, certain groups of people that are demanding certain rights, let me just tell you, there's a demonic agenda against the family. Hates marriages, hates children, hates everything about God's design for how he made it to happen. And could I just say this? It says encourage your sons to marry, your wives to marry, and so they can reproduce. Let me just tell you, somewhere in this dynamic of reproduction, we get an understanding of what God designed for marriage. I better step off because I'm in big trouble now. Increase in number. The dominion mandate, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and rule over it. God told Noah and his family, Noah and the boys, the same thing increase healthy things do what they grow showing yourself to be my disciples by doing what bearing much fruit but let me just tell you before they can be the manifestation of fruit there has to be the transformation of the spirit that happens on the inside you can't just get up one day and say look at me i'm gonna bear fruit not gonna happen unless the transforming power of the holy ghost does something on the inside of you seek the peace and the prosperity You want me to pray for Babylon? That's what God said. Just read your Bible. Pray. Pray for peace and prosperity to the place which I've called you. This place don't deserve my prayers. Not what the Bible says. Years ago when I was you know, early in my little prophetic on a stick kind of guy was kind of, you know, oh, God, yeah, this nation and just come down and just be God and just bring your fire, judgment, hell, shun die. (laughs) And I was just kind of in one of those moments and the Holy Spirit drew me aside. Psst, prophet boy. Psst, prophet boy. Your children live here. God bless this nation. For the sake of the righteous ten, would you not be God? Bless this nation, my children and their children. A place of security and safety. Let me just tell you, you look around, all of a sudden it changes. First Timothy, pray all kinds of prayers for those in authority. I don't like him. Doesn't matter if you like him or not. Or her. Makes no difference. The Bible says to pray. You pray for this nation regardless of the condition it's in. You pray for those in authority regardless of whether they're red state or blue state orientation. It doesn't matter. And then be careful to whom you're listening. Jeremiah 28, there was a prophet named Hananiah. He said, listen, forget Jeremiah and all this. Let me tell you, y'all are going to be out of here in two years. It's going to be all right. Seriously, it's going to be okay. Forget this whole 70-year thing. And God came to Hananiah and said, you know what you've done? Rather than a wooden yoke, you have replaced it with an iron yoke. Now, listen to me. There are a lot of hope peddlers out there. False hope is an iron yoke. Listen to me carefully. You see, we understand that hope is not some entity. Hope is a person. And you can always find somebody to tell you what you want to hear. I can eventually go find a chunky doctor that tells me I'm good. For whatever reason, God gave me some skinny athletic bike riding doctor. Don't like him. And he doesn't like me. But you can always find somebody to tell you exactly what you want to hear. You can dial it in. You can podcast it. You can read it. Go ahead. Paul said to Timothy, the time's going to come that folks will gather around them a great number of teachers to say exactly what they want to hear. But Romans 15 says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Let me just tell you, Fox and CNN can't fill you with all joy. The prognosticators can't fill you with all joy. Dr. Phil and Oprah can't fill you with all joy. First Peter one talks about that God has given us new birth into a living hope. Hope is alive; it lives, and that living hope comes as a result of the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance for you and me that can never spoil or fade. Let me close with this. You know, we read Jeremiah and we get happy about that part. Now, when 70 years are up, I'll do all this X, Y, and Z. We love that. I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And You know, as as Christians, we've developed all kinds of exit strategies called eschatology. How is God going to pull the plug on this thing? Am I going to meet him in the sky? Ah, ah! Is he going is, is to left behind me before things get bad or after things get bad? Or, You know, how is all that going to work? Pre-trib, post-trib? Pastor Brett and I are both pan-tribbers. It'll all pan out. It'll be all right. But rather than a specific, how do I get out of this thing? Could we look at Jeremiah 29, 10 in the context of eternity? I'll come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. Do you know what that means for you and for me as New Covenant believers? When Jesus said, I am going before you to prepare a place. Saints, let me just tell you, I'm not looking for the promises of, of, of Jeremiah 10 to be fulfilled in this realm, I'm looking for it to be fulfilled in the context of eternity. Are you with me? And, and if you re- when you really understand what the writers of the New Testament were speaking of, they weren't talking about getting a bill paid and getting through a temporary hardship. They were talking about the resurrection for themselves. What have I said this morning? We're not in Kansas anymore. You don't need to be even a little bit prophetic to know that. We live in a very interesting moment. And yet, God is ever present with us. He's given us a blueprint for how to do life as well. Pray with me.